All right, Rich, we're back. We're going to have our energy level up. This is Paul Ford. This is Rich Ziotti. And we're at the Track Changes podcast studio recording the Track Changes podcast of the Postlight Agency that builds apps and mobile websites. Is my energy up enough? It is. It's excellent. It's also worth noting we can also provide strategic guidance. I'm trying to give it a public, like a PBS yeah, we gotta, vibe. I, it's so to hard it. to pitch this company. It's We're, hard to pitch. Well, you can do the, the the infomercial. I'll do the sort of dignified, you know, PBS NewsHour. Cool. Let's, cool. Let's let's share information about be us. Dignified. Anyway, yes. we're this is the Track Changes podcast. So, I'm Paul Ford. This is Rich Ziotti. Uh, this is Rich Ziotti, and this is Paul Ford. And it's weird to meet someone who's been chattering in your ear for seven years. I wouldn't say chattering in your ear is how we want to go in on this. It's just, it's a very strange thing. I feel like, you know, we were talking about this in a previous podcast. You get to know the person. You're like, oh, how, how's his ankle doing? Yeah. Because he talked about it on Twitter or whatever it may be. And, and I've known Matt through this chattering for probably five to six, seven years. And I probably know 15 people that you know. Matt Howie is here. This is a very strange way to introduce the guy. Very self-centered way, actually. Big fan of him as a human being, but also what he's achieved in his life to date. And it's just great to meet the person that I've just been sort of observing weirdly outside his bedroom window for the last six years. I think... Um, Paul, I want you to take a shot at introducing Matt because that was awful. <laughs> Matt Howie, it's great to have you here in the studio. It really is. It's really fun to be here. So what brings you to our fair city? I am here to see Hamilton tonight. Are you excited? Very, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I have a pirate copy of some video I can show you. I'm a little scared <laughs> of anything that popular. I have a little problem with it. And it's my, it's my problem, not Hamilton's problem. You have an anti-mainstream, the masses love it issue. I, That's I do. a personal I, thing. I came around to it the same way. Everyone wouldn't shut up about it. And then I put off for a month or two listening to the soundtrack. And I sat down and was like, oh, this is something. This is the thing. I know if I listen to it, I'll get like five minutes in and be like, this is an exceptionally good entertainment product. And it goes for two and a half hours. Yeah. Like solid. I'm just not there yet. We'll we, get there. Yeah. Once did, it's you, over. did you break the bank to get those tickets? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone can get them. They're not hard if you break the bank. If you break the bank. Well, you know, you work at Slack now, <laughs> so you can break the bank a little bit. That's right. Yeah. So we should let's give a little background for the listener who, unlike Rich and me, isn't completely intimately familiar with Matt Howie's entire career. Because it's one of those careers that you end up ambiently knowing and, and sort of following if you're in a certain internet cohort. And I'll tell you why. It's because Matt Howie is the guy who created and founded a website, which is not really the right way to call it, a large web community called Metafilter. And you may not know Metafilter, but you have definitely felt the influence of it in the media and in the culture of uh, Q&As on websites like the Ask Me Anything on Reddit or the, the website Quora. Like Metafilter is a mostly textual, deeply pioneering, heavily moderated web community that you founded around... 1999. Woo! So we were, we were all little pups. And so you just one day, you're like, I want to make some... I want to make a community... We didn't even have words for what it was back then, did we? Uh, like uh, weblogs that just started, and there was this like web design list that sort of spun off Jesse James Garrett, like started a blogger list in like 98. Okay. And it was like 12 people. So it's okay. like Cam World, Kotke. I don't know who was still alive back then. 
And then for some reason, I was telling him I was working on something. And he was like, oh, I'll throw you on this list. And so I had no website. Everyone else did. <laughs> and then I sort of hung out on it. And, uh, you know, there's like 12 blogs. And I'm like, well, we've covered the single white web designer demographic pretty well. Like, I don't want to just <laughs> make a blog, yet another blog. So I was like, what if uh, I could get four or five people to, like, blog with me? Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe we could comment on each other's stuff. But, like, that was... So sort the tool, of made weblog comments. I'm did sorry. the tool exist no. to do this? No. So you had an idea. Yeah. And you knew this was going to take some building. So you weren't just picking up whatever was being used by back then. Nothing. Movable type. Or no, nothing. 1998. Oh, 98. It was, okay. Every, everyone was a web designer. This is like yeah. when TV was made by the guys yeah. who could run cameras. Mm-hmm. So right. That, there was one. There was one software blogging package called Gray Matter. But that was still like 2000 or something. You had to go find that in like a zip live Can we talk yeah. about Dave Weiner's Manila? <laughs> no. Not right now. Okay. We can't talk User about that right now. User land Manila? That is sort a, of a product inside of a product? That is a subject for like an entire show. Okay. Yeah. So so I had to make my own software, my own CMS, Okay, which is how every great project starts. I need to make CMS. Paul knows <laughs> this. Most of my projects <laughs> Paul probably that says way. that every morning. Uh, so yeah, I, I learned cold. I went to this intense cold fusion three day, like eight hour day seminar. Wow, with the mission. Well, it was. I was working at UCLA as a web designer, and I uh, was pitching to my bosses, yeah. like I will make better websites yep. for the departments. Yeah. Oh, because you were making like pages. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it was like let's make a database, and uh, and then once you you know this is how database websites work. Once you make one page, you can make ten thousand. So. Uh, with Metafilter, I was just like, oh, we have 10,000 users. We have 100,000 threads. Like, wow, this is great. Yeah. These were inconceivable numbers at that moment. Yeah. It was like a year later after I launched it. I remember walking in my friend's office at UCLA with my hands above my air because we had 100 visitors in one day. Yeah. Like, just right. not commenting, just visiting. And I was stoked. That was the scope. That's a lot of people. That was yeah. the scope of the medium back then. I mean, then. that's a, if you threw a party and 100 people showed up, that's a big party. Well, what we were all comparing to, we weren't comparing ourselves to NBC. We were comparing ourselves to zines that you photocopied at Kinko's. Yeah. You know, or like handouts at, and church flyers. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the metric. And so, you know, you get 100 people in a day, you just saved yourself $1,000 in photocopying costs. Yeah. So you start Metafilter, get 100 people in a day. The years go on. Yeah, and then uh, catch the eye of uh, a young Evan Williams and Meg Horhan, who had been running Pyra and uh, Blogger. And they were like, uh, yeah, I don't know. At maybe at South by Southwest 2000, I spoke on the first weblogs panel. Ben Brown was there. He cried. Let me see what else happened. And then <laughs> ran into Meg after, and they were both like, yeah, hey, you want to kind of come work? And I was like... You know, like a really crappy programmer because I was using Cold Fusion. And, uh, and oh, but Cold Fusion's still a real language. Yeah, it still runs Metafilter. Um, <laughs> it's a gateway is, drug. Yeah. Cold Fusion gets you going. You're like, wait a minute. It's like there's like seven conventions that make up programming. That's it. Yeah, conditionals, Four things. loops. That's it. That's yep. it. That's all it is. You can start building your. Looks community. like HTML. It so, looks like it was friendly looking. So yeah. yeah, so I ended up uh, at Blogger and Pyra and moved to San Francisco and did that for. A year. That sort Where of were you prior to that LA. geographically? L.A. Grew okay. up in L.A. and Got ended it. up at uh, UCLA as a web designer. Got it. Although I have a, like aquatic chemistry degree and like I worked for one month in an environmental consulting firm and just was like, this is terrible. Yeah. I like the web. It's 1997. I remember my coworkers going, like, yeah. I don't know if this web thing's going to... Like, 
will people get their news and weather from a computer? Like, I don't know. It's <laughs> crazy. Like, yeah. People got to drink water. You should I, stick I, with this. I love the people who took the heart. I have a law degree, and I just couldn't. I couldn't look away, and I just said, "All right, I can't do it." You I'm fell into it through uh, what Windows macros? I was writing script. I I, th- I was working. And this, I don't want to talk about myself here, but I was working at a business litigation firm where they were just churning out lawsuits against people who hadn't paid their oil bills, like oh. businesses that hadn't paid their oil bills, and they would put these pile in front of me, and they said, "Go, we need to file lawsuits for all these people." And it would be like eighty lawsuits that had to go out. But they're usually between a thousand and five thousand dollar claims just to work out to get the money back and i wasn't doing anything that had anything to do with my law degree so i wrote a script i was like wait do you have these in a spreadsheet and they said yeah sure it's like wait you got them in a spreadsheet i'm gonna bang these lawsuits out for you in a day and i was so pumped that i pulled i wasn't excited about the case precedent that i researched in the law library i was pumped about the script that i wrote to get these lawsuits out and the lawyers were like who is this guy and he's obviously not a good lawyer because <laughs> it's not what he does. And then I knew. I yeah. quit and I never looked back. So you made like a lawsuit template like in Word with like OLE connections to the... It was just regex just wow. pumping them into... Because the, the legal... It wasn't just mail merge because there was there was minutia in there. So you needed some logic around... For certain counties had to be in certain courthouses. And it was, it was just a little like light logic in there. It was garbage. But I didn't feel like doing this by hand. All that. I'm like, what do you have me here for as a law student? Just go get a, you know, an intern to just punch these in. This is why I quit like this environmental consulting firm. I was uh, writing environmental impact reports mostly on cell phone poles going up in Southern California. So yeah. like that 10-foot by 10-foot piece of land, you have to kind of mitigate what it looks like, what right. kind of pollution might be introduced, which is almost zero. I was sitting there going, a trained monkey could do this. Like, I could train a monkey to make copies to deliver to the city. Exactly. To, like, write this report, which right. is just a bunch of copies. It w- just wasn't scratching the itch. And you yeah. just, you just, you got antsy. In I mean, that's a, we talk a lot on this show about how people do their jobs. We're in this industry that right now, it feels very inaccessible to a lot of people. And most of the people that I know started by going, like, a computer could do this. Like, how did you miss this idea? Yeah. And and then they went ahead and did it because they were kind of stubborn, mulish people, like we all are. And then, you know, 20 years later, they're still in this ridiculous business. Yeah. So you go and you're in the hot white center of probably at that point what didn't even necessarily feel like a hot white center at Pyra Labs. I started on April 1st, 2000, which also happens to be, I think, the Monday the stock market crashed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which was like the start of the end of so the you, startup world. <laughs> you moved. Did yeah. you move to San Francisco? Yep. yep. All right. So he's all moving in. truck. He's all in. He's calling the, the phone company to set up. There's this really obvious bubble right there, like Pets.com and stuff like that. And, and everyone's CD like, now. yeah, this is all ridiculous. Right. You're yeah, right and I'm there. telling family, I'm going to a startup in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, well, it doesn't make any money, but it's going to be great. Yeah, the weird part was knowing in my heart that like Blogger is going to enable the planet to communicate. Right. Like I, I had that, and I knew that was our end goal. And like, yes... Pets.com was happening. Everything was happening around me, and the garbage pile was flying through the skies. And like, you know, people were being fired every day on the same street I was on. But I knew I was like, this blogger thing is the greatest idea imaginable. And it, and I forget the timeline for blogger, but Pyro went through a rough patch, right? I mean, they went through a really didn't they yeah. like pare down to like nothing? Yeah. So they formed in like 
1998 to just be consulting. And then it was like, they basically built Asana in 1999. That was the pirate app. And it had like projects and leaders. And uh. one part was you could comment and it was basically a blogging engine. Uh-huh. And then Evan PB who was with me on this trip basically said, oh, why don't we just rip that part out for our personal blogs? Who's PB? Paul Bausch. Okay. The inventor of the permalink. Oh, someone had to invent the permalink. Yeah. It was Paul Bausch. It. It's always him. Yeah. It'll always be him. <laughs> yeah. So it's August 99, they, mm-hmm. in one weekend, they ripped out the code when Meg was gone. She didn't want them to do, like, we shouldn't pivot or whatever, waste time on side projects. So they make Blogger and launch it in August 99. And then, you know, I joined in the spring of 2000. By January 2001, is like all the money ran out. Right. Like they I had three hundred thousand dollars in funding, you know. I remember so I reading a, a blog post about this. Like, yeah, listen. and Ev asked for donations to keep servers up. Yeah, you know, it was sort of I like remember it was this him by himself, twenty four hours. I have to like give him credit. At the time, I was like bitter and like, ah, you know. You had, a, had you left? Yeah, it, like everyone had to be Everyone's fired like, or oh, walk. Yeah, it. you were furloughed. Yeah. yeah, so you know, I was really angry with him, but like he stuck it out. I mean, he just worked twenty hours a day and slept on the floor and kept this thing. And I was like, I want the dream to stay alive. I want people in Afghanistan to be able to blog yeah. for the first time. And and then you know they finally introduced revenue, and I think the end of that year, and Blogspot became. A th- I remember driving to Fry's to buy a two hundred dollar HP desktop on sale that could be blogspot like that was like in one day we made blogspot wow like it was crazy back then incredible so, so yeah that was the server like you went yeah. to fries to just buy some machine that could yeah and be... it held two or three hundred sites on an apache single instance and then, sure like wildcard domains you had internet in the room too so yeah like that oh was... that was yeah that was the other thing like isp was in our building so it's yeah. free t3 connections for everybody Ooh, so i had to drive good. metafilter up in my car and like put it under my desk and let it run i remember a lot of this like you'd go over to any web agency worth its salt back in the old days would have a rack like you'd walk in and often it was like right when you'd walk in they'd be like oh yeah there's our servers like yeah. they're very proud of that yeah yeah our what uh, cvs is that what the early code repository it was like in a physical box in right the right office. right and, like, one of our coders was in the Midwest, and he had to, like, tunnel in just to get the code each night. So you were the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so then, and one day, Pyrolabs is like, look, it's just not working. I'm going to try to do this myself. I'll see you guys later. Yeah, I worked shortly for a few months at this Kleiner Perkins terrible startup that invented Ajax in the year 2000 and did nothing with it, spun their wheels. And, like, we had apps where everything in the page was moving around and live updating in 2001 and these are all great two early ideas you know yeah uh, i did that for a few months and then i ended up at creative commons for uh three years after that and that was like lawrence lessig told cory doctorow like i can't get a freaking web designer to even apply for this job what the hell and he was <laughs> like why don't you just hire this matt howie guy god damn he would take it in a second and then, <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> he's it's like literally an animal the, yeah. yeah it's the same 33 people yeah, yeah that's the problem i mean we're gonna run out at a certain point on this podcast we'll just have to stop <laughs> it um so Metafilter's kind of humming in the background mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. And I mean, did it stay at Pyra after you left Pyra? It did. All right. So this is another reason that you... Because he had the building bandwidth. So you had to forgive for I, another reason. I was, yeah, begging for, you know, you're an asshole, but I, you know, want to keep my finger on yeah. the edge. Can I just leave that <laughs> See, there? See, bandwidth can heal a lot of wounds. Yeah. And then so at one point he got rid of the office because he didn't want the rent. It was just him. And then I had a conundrum. And then it was a friend who... 
worked for Sports Illustrated and had his own T1 in New York or in Boston. I can't remember where it went first. It just sat in a friend's closet for the next three years. Would it go down for a day or two? Yeah. Uh, I actually put up a temporary, literally, this thing's on a plane. Like, okay. The server will be back. I'm FedExing it to New York City tonight. <laughs> like, people have, I, I should go look for screenshots of it because, yeah. That's awesome. That is, that is actually, we, we probably overdo nostalgia on this program, but that is for real. Like, that's, but that's great. This website is currently on a plane and inaccessible. And then friends of this guy who hosted it would stay, it was in his guest room, and they'd always take, hey, here's a picture of your server. Like, while they're sleeping on the futon, they no see the server there. That's, like, that's MetaFilter right there. I can touch it. Oh, Lord. So Metafilter is sort of continually running. There's a point where it became your job, right? Mm-hmm. When was that? Uh, like 2005. So it was weird because I'd give talks at web conferences and they'd be like, tell us about your success. And like, well, you start this dumb side project in a dead language and then you run it for six years and then kind of you make a few hundred bucks. Yeah. Like, it takes six years to make any money. Like, so web advertising, you know, came out in 2003. Google launches AdSense, you know. And actually made more money off PVR blog, just, you know, a single so, topic blog about TiVos and stuff. So you started this TiVo-related blog yeah, in 2006 I, or so. 2003. Oh, okay. And it was like the day AdSense came out. So I okay. put it on there. And it was like, I was just always emailing friends technical advice. So I was like, oh, let's make a little blog about this dumb little subject. And because people had so many PVR questions. Yeah. For what, is that personal video? What it was? Yeah, it? I accidentally bought, I wanted to buy DVR blog and I like you mistyped it. PVR blog? Night. Yeah, so I was like, personal video recorder, I think is what's, <laughs> which seemed grander, but it was really just DVR news. But uh, like the first day I made a hundred bucks. This is more money I've ever made on the internet in one day. And I was like, <laughs> this is unbelievable. A hundred American dollars. Just coming right your way. So, like, that was doing pretty well. And it was like by 2005, Metafilter's traffic is skyrocketing, but it's about everything. So, you can't sell advertising to everybody about everything. Everything's terrible, remnant. And, and this cent. was also, there was an era there where like people were getting $30,000 checks from Google before everything got sort of like triaged and arbitraged to death, right? Yeah, so, I would say 2007 is probably the golden age or yeah. 2008. And there was this moment where it was like advertising is the model for the internet. It's the only thing that truly works and you can make millions of dollars as long as Google continues to write this check. This is an endless balloon going up to the stratosphere. It'll never stop. Yeah, and so Metafilter had tons of traffic. It was about anything on earth and then suddenly AdSense started working great on Ask Metafilter when someone said, what, what's like a good hammer I should buy for home construction? Of course, you're going to get like three ads for so home you start, construction. So that's the thing we should point out to people. Metafilter is like a, it's a family of sites. It's yeah. The, they often get known by the color that they are. So um, there's the blue, which is the old school, like, yeah. here's a cool link I found on the yeah. internet. Yeah. And then there's green, which is Ask Metafilter, which is general Q&A. And was kind of a... I mean, there I'm, there are other Q and A things on the internet, but this was like a tag structured way to find it information was quality. about quality. Like, yeah, also yeah, when we, I was like, which air conditioner should I buy? Yeah, it well, was, and it was you it helped was a consistent. lot of people. We get had divorced. no idea. <laughs> we had no idea at the time. It was sort of like you know, a thread would come up in Metafilter about photography, and someone would be like, "Hey, I'm looking for a new pocket camera," and then like photography nerds would just drop all this knowledge, and yeah. I'd be like. 
man, there's something here. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. we are all smart nerds with hobbies. If we can just get our hobbies. Who love to talk about it. Yeah. They, just, they were looking for a forum to just yeah. say what so they know. About all there was was Google Answers, which was that weird dollar per question thing. Yeah. You know, with humans and yeah. like. Oh, that was terrible. And it survived for two or three years and they got rid of it. So I was like. It never made sense. They, You know, people misunderstood human motivation with that. They're like, we need to pay people to answer questions. And that's not the internet. Yeah. The internet is, I will come and answer the question before you ask to it. show you what I'm capable <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, just yeah. to show off. So yeah, yeah Ask Metafilter, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I just, yeah, it worked out really, really well. You know, there was one precedent for it that just popped in my head. I haven't thought about this in forever. Photo.net. Oh, uh, Scott Hefferman's thing? No, no Phil, oh, Phil, Phil Greenspan. Greenspan. Yeah. There, this was a site in like, I, probably right. 1999 and it was a lot about it was just all about camera equipment mm-hmm. and that pattern emerged there it wasn't really Q&A but it was, it was the like, tail end of any page there was comments basically yeah. and you could and they just jump into discussions there off whatever he was reviewing up above but also because digital photography was so expensive and people who are into digital photography tended to be like internet users like there was a real yeah. alignment and so is this this one yeah one and his book case. inspired me to like do the whole cold fusion thing that's your phil greenspan was, what's that tickle crap but he wrote like a philosophical book about about database websites but like without like, abstracting the code phil greenspan was a really interesting guy he was an mit guy mm-hmm. and then he started a company called i believe ours digita that's right and made a content management system they made a content management system with tickle tk the language and it was like aol web server and then some other database it was like Oh, Oracle. Oracle, yeah, yeah. It was like completely different from everything everyone oh else God. was using. And then he sold it to Fortune 500 companies, made a lot yeah. of money, raised a lot of funds. He also had a, like a one-year program in computer science that they funded. And it was like he did on all these uh, like seminars and, and, and hack days and had a big website called Photo.net. Like he was mm. this really – and he had a book. I think it was called Philip and Alex's Guide to the – Yeah, because of his dog. His dog was named Alex. It was like a giant fluffy dog. Samoyed. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all pictures of him and his Samoyed, and then it would teach you how to make web pages and uh, oh, tickle to Anything you, about this. Yeah, it tells you the, like, the entire world of programming is just four things, which is just like put stuff in a database, take stuff out of a database, display it on a page, however you want. Right. Well, it's three things. That's it. That's the entire yeah. entirety. And so I could go to any language and just be like, how do I put crap in a database? How do I read it out of a database? How do I format it on the page? And like... That's Cold Fusion PHP I sort of picked yeah. up just doing that. Mm. Okay, so that book was one of the things that got you going. Yeah, that, I wrapped my head around it, read it, and went, oh, I should, yeah, this is, ama- this is in, within everyone's grasp. I did not know it was so easy, which, like, I don't want to learn how dynamic arrays work in blah language. It's just, like, he really broke it down to, like, anyone could do Made this. Made it accessible. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And it was philosophical. It was, like, hardly any code in the book. It was just, like, go look it up. Go look up syntax later. I think, I mean, that's one of the things. When you learn that it's okay that things break and that you're just going to fix it, and if you keep, like, just some backups, you're going to, like, get through it. Yeah. Those those are really important lessons early on because you just, everyone else will tell you. If you say, like, how often should I back up, people will tell you, like, at least five times per second. Yeah. <laughs> you you know what, what's funny is, is the motivations here that come out of this community, when I say community, I mean people who are interested in creating communities, publishing content, whether it be me talking about my life on a blog. Technology was sort of like this thing that we were, there was such a strong motivation to continue to lower the barrier and to make it accessible because the goal wasn't, I've majored in comp sci, I'm really into complicated fractals. It's just not... It was to increase participation. 
it was increased participation, but also it was it was this strange sort of other set of motivations and yeah. inspirations. And technology was just sort of sitting here. I was like, wait a minute, can I touch this or am I going to get electrocuted? Right. So you just sort of looked for ways to just fiddle, just fiddle around just enough so you could go do that thing, you know, and go after something much bigger. And technology was just sort of a means to right. it. But what comes out of it ultimately is it actually shaped the path for technology such that the tools we use today are byproducts of this curious, weird affair we had with it for the last 20 years, 15 years or whatever it may be, which I love. Like, I don't think about Oracle databases. They were just sort of this thing that was over here that was handling the banks and it just, I wasn't going to use that. That just was too far No, away. I mean, I'd get, I was involved in, you know, sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you'd be affiliated with projects that, that would involve that stuff. But in general, all the stuff we used was kind of free or incredibly cheap. And you'd go buy a $200 server at the store yeah. and then figure it out from there. I think yeah. it's the early internet came out of the academic world. So, like... All the early bloggers, like, yeah. were grad students or were just mm-hmm. coming out of college, and they had free web space. Yeah. Like, I came from the academic scientific community, which was like, what do I need to know to get my work done, and then how do I tell everybody about it? So, yeah. like, I thought that was an important aspect. Was I would write, this is how you do it. Philip Greenspan was nice enough to write a book and tell everybody how to do it. Yeah. And like, I constantly wrote, you know, the the day I made a hundred bucks on PVR blog. I wrote a blog post and said, like, this is amazing. There's money to be made if you write about <laughs> right. a subject you're passionate about, which, right. like, unfortunately started, like, spam blogs, too. But, but yeah, like, I think all the early internet, like, you know, 99 to 2005 internet people are, like, they have an academic bent because there's no money. So it's like, well, I discovered this right. great thing and made this great thing. I just want to tell the world so they can do it, too, and we can yeah. all have great things. And, and there's this, uh, also this aspiration that's beyond making money. I mean, I, I yeah. think... For an Ev Williams to sit 22 hours a day just making sure Pyro stayed up, I think he was thinking, this is going to change the freaking world. Like, this isn't about I think it's also like, it, just, it has to be right. Like, there's that, that's just yeah. a very fundamental yeah. human like, force. we like, knew, like, we're helping the world publish. We're, like, dropping all the barriers to zero. You, right. like, fill out a form and then you can start blogging. And, like, somebody's going to realize this is, like, Nobel Prize winning greatness here like for the world right and so like yeah let's just keep it going yeah it's sort of this patched together set of motivations you know it's not it wasn't oh this is the 10-year plan to get to the moon it was just sort of us fumbling along. i'm not emotionally ready for internet people to win nobel prizes i'm not i can't <laughs> handle that i can't handle I it it's gonna happen i can't handle the tweets i overstepped oh. yeah, this, yeah. You know, why did i say that i'm just thinking about what that looks well, like uh, anil has said a lot of times like when's the first macarthur genius grant gonna go to someone we know that like <laughs> inventor of rss or inventor of podcasts or something like that like one of that, us that someone will tell you that's the same person <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> circled back. Wow. All right. Wait Let's a minute. On. Wait a minute. So you hired a bunch of people to work with you to help you moderate Metafilter because, A, people had to pay like five bucks to get on. Mm-hmm. Not just anyone could come in and post. Yeah, we purposely made a barrier. Before, I would just turn signups off if I ever got press because like 500 people would come from a New York Times link and it'd just be a nightmare. Like <laughs> the first day anyone's in a new community, just blah, blah, blah. Like it was a nightmare. So I'd constantly turn off signups and I liked having the signups turned off because I could manage the community <laughs> of people I knew. So the I, quality. Uh, yeah, I went, went for like two years without 
letting anyone sign up. Like people had to email me and send me a sob story. And then, <laughs> and then I noticed someone was selling one on eBay and it went for like 125 bucks. And I was like, I need to arbitrage this shit. Yeah, like, yeah. This can't That's happen. Cool. So if I make it five bucks and anyone can have it, there'll be no black market. So right. I did that not knowing that like, I don't know, 20 people a day might do it. And like the first day, uh, I put a down payment on a car. <laughs> like, right. That's awesome. The first, like, I think 2,500 people signed up in the first day. So there was all this latent demand. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of yeah, a hopping site back then. It yeah. was like sort of like the Reddit. Yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't mm-hmm. anything else quite like it. Yeah. I sort of patterned it off slash dot when it started to become a community. I was like, well, that stuff's a little too nerdy for me, but I wish, you know, it was more about pop culture. So then you hired moderators. Yeah. I don't know. I. You know, I thought I saw Slashdot do the karma model where like they did the early Reddit where you're voting up and down stuff. And then they had like meta moderation. And it was just a nightmare. And people, you know, just try to get points. They, you know, try. Yeah. So I was like, to game it. I was like, forget this. I don't want to write anti-gaming software for the rest of my life. I'll just like, uh, yeah, Jessamine was really nice. And Jessamine uh, West. Jessamine West. Who Noted be, for librarian.net. Should be a guest on this program. Oh, uh, if, if we can get her down here, I'd love to talk to her. So she's, uh, she's, she could get the Nobel Prize. I'd be okay yeah, with that one. Totally. Or Genius Grant. So, like, yeah, brought her. She was sort of the best member of the site and was like, I would get people, you know, volunteering to, you know, you're on the West Coast at two in the morning, some spammer shows up and does some ruckus. And, you know, it's I'm in Europe or I'm in the East Coast. I could see this before you wake up. There would be problems every time I woke up. I'd go right. to sleep at midnight with a laptop, open it up at seven in the morning and know there's problems. Because you're loving it at this point or you're just feeling like I got to just keep going. There was like 2003 or four. It felt like drudgery. Yeah. And then, like, a little bit of money came in, so it was a little easier. Money's very soothing. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not even being ironic. Like, <laughs> it's no. very, yeah. Like, in 2003, I sort of had a stalker who got my wife fired from a tenure-track university Whoa. job who was, made my life a living hell. Like, I was researching restraining orders. And, like, oh, my god! And I was like, I'm not rich, and I'm not famous, and I'm being treated like... Yeah. This sucks. Yeah, this I was is... ready to quit the internet in, like, 2003. Right. That's the thing. People... There were griefers very active back then. Now they have all decided to focus their energy mostly on women who play video games. That's right. But back reason. then, they were just like... They <laughs> would hate anybody. Yeah. I, I would get death threats. I mean, you had someone actively ruin your life. I had people come outside my house. Like, it's... Anytime you exert what they see as any power... Like, they just see your world that they've stumbled into as their zone to exert total power and you're like hey actually there's other people here and they're like that is unacceptable and then then you're like in the basement and they're wearing they're wearing like their mom's skin and then like money comes in the picture and you're like well yeah it's not so bad if i can pay my mortgage (laughs) and i get a lawsuit threat once every three now i don't even care about lawsuit threats they're so normal yeah. Which is really weird. I never thought I'd get to this place. That is another subtext to the internet is that like if you have anything successful and you publish any kind of content and it hangs around for a while, people will invoke lawyers to try to get you to remove that content. Yeah. There's an Ask Metafilter thread from like five years ago of someone going, oh, my, my sister is going to this like real estate seminar at the hotel by the airport taught by this guy. Does yeah. anyone ever like, is this seems like bullshit. I should tell her it's a scam, right? And, like, people did some searching. There's three or four answers going, like, eh, it seems like a scam. And someone linked to some article where, like, uh, Better Business Bureau for this guy had, like, 100 complaints. And so it's years later. Apparently, that's, like, the third result for his name. 
<laughs> oh no. So he like just sends some angry notes to me in email and I just keep ignoring him. He sends FedEx envelopes to my PO box. And then the lawyer. And then he sends a a lawyer sends a fake facsimile of a case. Like here's no. what here's what a case would look like if we started it in Arizona where I live. Was it served or did you just get it mailed? No, it was you? like they literally doctored up like here's what would happen if <laughs> yeah, we yeah. continue. And then oh, no. then I contacted a lawyer friend and they were like, Oh, you know, statute of limitations in Arizona is one year. Yeah. <laughs> like on libel and slander. Also, it's all true. These are people who said like they right. went to a seminar and There's sucked. no libel or slander. <laughs> but so I was like, yeah, that sort of went away when the, the lawyer The first time you out. get like a lawyer coming after you, though, for oh. anything, you're just like, oh, this is it. It's all over. I lost Dude, it. Dude, your stomach drops. You don't eat for two days or sleep. Yeah, and you go, awful. my children are going to go hungry. So this is one of the reasons it's nice to be in a partnership with someone who has a law degree. Yeah. Like it, it's very like it weighed into starting this company because it's so useful to just like have somebody yeah. who is in no way intimidated or afraid and just is like, well, this is a set of consequences that could happen if we do this. And, yeah. You know, the most yeah, overtures from lawyers are less about procedural actual stuff and more about intimidation. Yeah, it was all yeah. threats and yeah. intimidation. To, to get you to do something. Right. Uh, Working at Creative Commons made me comfortable running a big content site with a myriad of DMCA and copyright problems because I was just surrounded by Harvard lawyers and Lessig and I could ask anyone at the EFF to help me at any time and call in a favor. Like that made me a lot. I got to, you know, I can read contracts and user agreements now and understand what's going on. Honestly, it's, I get asked sometimes what makes a good editor. And one of the first things I say is a keen understanding of liability. And everyone's like, no, no, come on. It's about sentences. I'm like, no, like the actual job. Paragraphs. <laughs> the actual job is is being aware of like incoming risks. Yeah. Because a really good screwed up piece of media can cost you millions of dollars. Yeah. We're running out of time and I definitely want to talk about Slack. Yeah, so so Metafilter runs and runs and runs and is actually one of the real success stories of the web. It has some definite ebbs and flows. Google kicks your legs out from under you at one point. But you get it to an okay place. Mm-hmm. And this is a couple years ago, and you went, maybe it's time for something new. Yeah, it was a result of the Google bajong. Like, I woke up. I knew this someday this would end. Everyone right. had told me this will happen. And then it just happened, and I was making half as much money. And, like, luckily we had a lot of profit, so we could still pay paychecks for a while. And then we just started to tighten our belts a little. But, like, tightening your belt and watching the dollars go up and down 2% every day was just stressing me out to no end. So... You know, I just thought, yeah, I was like super depressed and like stressed out working, you know, 80 hours a week. And you'd, I was run, in that... you'd run the social club for 14 years. At yeah. Point, right? Yeah. Okay. And at one point I had like, I think up to eight employees and like I was not working like basically for maybe a year there. Like I was just seeing movies and going on hundred mile bike rides every day and like checking in on the site. And so I went back to like the Ev Williams at late at night, million hours a day watching the site. And it was just stressing me out and you have you have a kid yeah and you had a health issue too i remember yeah i had a tumor at the base of my brain that made me rethink things a couple years before but that's mostly okay now but you're just you're at a point in life where you're like you know what i really you don't have 80 hours a week yeah i was like i can't sustain this like i'm gonna kill myself if i have to keep doing this so at one point uh, a very large community made aspirations to hire me as their head of community and just buy the site a couple And there was a time where they said, well, why don't you just let it run and just come work for us and we'll pay you lots of money. And 
And I was like, how does that work? And they're like, just hire someone, dumbass. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> if I take my paycheck out of it, I could cover two jobs or something. Like, yeah, let's, yeah, okay. And then at the same time, uh, I emailed Stuart and just Butterfield and said, like, I really love Slack. And I really love everything about it. You know, Early days for Slack before it was a $480 billion company. Yeah, there was yeah. maybe 50 employees when I emailed and said, hey, if there's any, anything ever comes up. And he said, like, yeah, I'll think of something. <laughs> And I thought it would be community leader or some stupid thing that I was good at. And he was like, you should be a writer here. And I was like, what are you talking? Like, I've never worked as a writer in my life. And he's like, you've been blogging for 20 years. You've written books. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you can do have, this. It's in you. You've thinking of yourself as community leader. Yeah. And, not, yeah. and I, uh, also suicidal community leader who's yeah. like getting just felt downtrodden. Like Gamergate <laughs> happens. Like that was the last straw. I was like, ugh. Like, just what made happened the with Metafilter with Gamergate? I missed all that. You know, there wasn't much. It's not Reddit. There's maybe... Was, yeah, I was watching, like, Gawker implode. Yeah, Gawker and Reddit just sort of, like, implode with, you know, I don't know, 10% of their audience is pro-Gamergate, and that's enough to just ruin the place. And right. Metafilter is <laughs> probably, like, five guys who actually... You know, wait, wait, wait. Let's see what the merit there is to these arguments. And, like... Just fighting those. Like, maybe that women, would just maybe women shouldn't play game or <laughs> game video games. Okay, so so that's all going on, and you're just like, I need I need to not be. Doing yeah. This. Okay. And it was because like I could just hire someone and leave and go do something else. That's a possibility I never thought about for 14 years. So did that. Everything worked out. Stuart was like, Hey, come be a writer. And I showed up the next Monday, and one of our part timers could work full time at Metafilter, and it was like the easiest transition of my life. And it, you're working remotely. Slack's in California, but you're in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Okay. And as a writer, that's like awesome because mm -hmm. like uh, now there's three or four other writers, and nobody's ever at their desk. Like they go somewhere else to write. What does writer mean? Yeah. What do you? What's my prize? What do you? Well, no, actually, no, kind of what do you do every company. day? Yeah. Like, yeah. Give us every some day, it's for like writer. a. I guess it's in a marketing group. You're going to have like an editorial group. Mm -hmm. So it's like every blog post about every feature and every daily newsletter -y kind of thing. Like you're... Okay, so you get up, you log into HipChat. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you write blog posts, tweets. You have no idea how much work goes into tweets. Uh, it's oh, embarrassing how, much, work goes into <laughs> how much I am like the emoji picker guy, expert at Slack. Like... I was doing UI copy for a while, just I like see. anywhere with words, any email that goes out from us okay. should have so a tone. You can actually touch the product as well. There's a big, now we have UI writers. That was the hardest job in the world. But so now we have people dedicated to it. But like mm. Slack has a tone, like a very strong, it's like Stuart's comedic, smart, Alec kind of yeah. tone. And uh, he brought on Anna Picard, who was like a writer on Glitch even. So like she knew that. How Glitch, to write. Glitch was the game that Stuart Butterfield made before he made Slack. Yeah. Okay. Just like Flickr was the thing the that website that game he never and ended. Katarina Fake made after they made the game never ended. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you want to build a successful startup, you got to make a game first. And just like fails. when I need to write a, a, an article or or something longer, I create a CMS. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and never launch it. Okay. So you're so it's coming and they're like, hey Matt, can you uh, write us a thing? Yeah, like something's launching on Monday, and I had to write the post about it on the plane here. What's launching? Oh, this one will just come out. <laughs> uh, not for a couple weeks. Oh, great. Uh, the calls is coming out of beta, and it'll be public. So oh, we can make can phone make... calls from Slack? So voice is being added to Slack everywhere. So yeah. you're, you're like writing the instructions and the information and the... Probably yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious how a phone works. So you just say, <laughs> yeah. well, now we've got voice. Like, press a button, start a voice call. You know what to do with the rest. Interesting. I tried to, like, pitch, well, you know, you could have 
standing meetings at Tuesday at one o'clock, you just leave the voice chat open. Maybe that's a thing people do. Like we ended up cutting it all. So basically just your job is to keep things simple. Yep. It is lots and lots of editing. Yeah. Using words to keep things simple. Yeah. I think I was happy with writing and editing is hard. Editing is when you feel like a garbage heap who doesn't know how to do like feel like a goat in a human body <laughs> but like while I'm i nodding. love i love to get up and go to the library and just bang out thousand word pieces all day long and then the editing is the worst where i just go i'm so disappointed sometimes Stuart touches them and he just redlines half of it and i'll be like i'm such a disappointment i always thought that slack has the best internal blog title though which is uh several people are typing yeah, that's actually an excellent name. It is an excellent blog. name. And we overdid it because seven several people are coding as the engineering blog. And we went from there. They've killed oh, what are you it. Do? I mean, the brand personality of Slack has been in play. I feel like I met someone three years ago, and I got to know them. Yeah, it's over the, time. and it's the same person today, and it's the same person, and, and they've yeah. done a killer job. Yeah, it's going to get better. Like Slackbot's going to get more helpful. And, yeah, yeah. Are you writing bots? You writing bot copy? No, I wish. Mm. I did a little bit early. But now our UI writers do that. Like that's the hardest. Like write a thousand words about this new feature is the easiest thing in the world. Write a tweet announcing it. It's a little harder. Yep. What should we say on this button? You have a maximum of two words, and it's due by the end of the day. Is the right. hardest job that's I've ever. Okay. Like when you only have two words, and you got to pick them, and they got to work in any language. And people are going to have opinions. Yeah. Paul, Paul, should we tell Matt that we use Flowdoc at Postlight? I still want to see it. Yeah, well, I'm going to take it. Uh, this was a there was a passionate <sighs> debate. No, so no, Flowdoc is a, a Slack competitor, and it allows for threaded conversations. It has replies. Yeah, it, it, look, here's the thing. What, what did you say? It has replies. I don't know what this looks like, but that's what everyone tells me. That they do replies really. I tried to get replies working in Metafilter. I'm going to let you come yeah. to our office and watch people and use Flowdoc. Yeah. yeah. And Look, there's uh, a lot of garbage in Flowdoc. We do, like, Slack is way more polished. You're going to see the UX and you're going to be like, what? I've yeah. seen HipChat and I can't believe. But yeah. but I'll tell you, we're not allowed to talk about it at the office. Yeah. Because at one point, Flowdoc was mostly being used to talk about Slack. Yeah. And it was a major productivity drain. It was yeah. incredibly risky. Yeah. But you should come witness how it works. Threading, I mean, is the reason. Everybody wants to. Yeah, and I tried to do threading on Metafilter for 15 years, and I never found a design I liked. It's a very tricky problem. Yeah, and so I don't know what the right. I mean, we're we've been experimenting at Slack for almost a year on it, and like, mm. I mean, we're getting close. But yeah, I'm curious what Flowdoc could. Let's come on by. And we'll yeah. show you. Well, I like this episode because there's a sort of like it ends on this very chill note. You're just like Metafilter, still going. Mm-hmm. It You're is still... still going. It's worth noting. Yeah. yeah, there's like six people I left behind, and they're all doing a great job. And yep. I told them, hey, call me on the red phone once every three months when we get yep. a lawsuit. Otherwise, I don't want to hear from you. And <laughs> it's worked out exactly to that The level. site's still great. I mean, the content and the quality of the site is it's still great. People quality are... is, I mean, you, you look at the, the, the rise of YouTube comments, which just makes me want to shower after yeah. about a minute or two. And I feel like Metafilter just continues to represent something else. Which is great. And then you, you hit an inflection point after 10, 15 years of having a successful startup. Not an 80 times multiple startup, but one that startup. paid your bills. Yeah. No, I know, but it really was. <laughs> Don't call it a startup. <laughs> it's been here for it was years. A, it was a small business. I was running a shoe store. And exactly. Shoe store was like selling a, shoes. You're a happy cobbler. Yeah. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to go do a thing over here with some nice people. It's a food truck. This is a good outcome. It's a really good food truck. I like outcomes like this. I like it's good for people out in the out in the world to track changes to hear that like 
You can pace it a little bit. You can take a breath. Yeah. It's okay to quit things. I think it's something we never talk about. Yeah, like, it really. You know, is. I I got Great a master's point. degree. I went to college for like freaking seven, eight years, and then I quit it a month into my first job to go do the web, and then I quit my job to go to Pyra and like drop everything, and go to San Francisco in the middle of startup blitz, and then yeah. quit my job to do my own thing in the middle of nowhere in Oregon and then quit that to go to Slack. Like it's great. That's a great message for everyone. <laughs> no one very quit. difficult just, thing. Just I mean, quit. Yeah. Just, just quit. So I think one of the things we're gonna <laughs> one of the things we're gonna have to quit. I'm gonna do this in a very like cheesy way. One of the oh. things we're gonna have to quit, Rich, is this podcast hey. for the day. Matt Howie came on our show. We've been we're big Matt Howie fans. Thank you. You're very welcome. Fans. Thanks, Matt. And this you wanna great. set up a Slack channel? For what? Just for, you know, just... I've got like 15. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, um, we'll go back and talk on Slack amongst ourselves. Rich, this has been Track Changes. It sure has. If you want to review it on iTunes, you can. If you want to send us an email with any question at all, contact at postlight.com. Postlight, your happy agency that builds you your apps and your mobile things right here in New York City. Uh, Rich, I'm going to see you soon. See you soon, Paul. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.